joy to have everyone with us today. Baruch Hashem. Glad to have everybody in the house of Adonai. Baruch Hashem. I'd like to begin by reading our Baraka for the Torah reading and get right to our lesson of Shoftim today. That Hashem should show us what He wants to teach us that we should leave out of here uh, better men and women. Amen. Amen. The blessing of the Torah. Blessed are you and I, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with His commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and our offspring's offspring and our offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Yisrael. Amen. Hashem Yeshua. Well, again, welcome, everyone. It's been a blessing to have you here. It's been a challenging week. It's been a tough week. It's been a, and at the same time, it's been a good week. Why good? Because when we have something like we had this week happen with a, our precious sister passing away, it's a reminder to all of us about what really matters, right? And so someone commented, many people I'm sure have commented, but somebody I remember commented about it being on the second day of the 40 days of Teshuvah and, and what a way to begin or something to that effect. But I would say indeed, what a way to begin. What a way to begin, like King Solomon said, and I said in my remarks at her at Karen's service, that better is the house of mourning than the house of festivity, of frivolity, right? Because it's sobering. Because it brings us to a reality, a reality check of what matters most. And that's what the 40 days is really all about. So in a way, you know, we always say, or we should say, we say, Gamzu le tova, right? Gamzu le tova. Gamzu le tova. There was a rabbi who used to say that all the, all the, all the time, and, and, and he said it so much that they just call him Rabbi Gamzu. Because he would say, this too, this too. Somebody would present him with good news, he would say, this too, gamzu. Somebody would present him with bad news, and he'd say, gamzu, this too. Everything is for the best. What does that mean? It means that everything is in the control of God. I mentioned an album, which I think some of you got, uh, live in Melbourne, right? My dad found it, some Shlomo cats. I have other Shlomo cats I almost say records. What well, dates me, right? Wow. wow. Anyway, albums. And <clears throat> anyway, but I wasn't familiar with the one alive in Melbourne. I think maybe he'll, I'm sure Hello had it because we sing some of those songs. But what doesn't matter? Well, my dad was telling me about it. And, uh, you know, you listen to that album and it helps, helps us understand that this too is for the be very best. That everything that happens, he, uh, Shlomo, in one of his songs, in the introduction to his songs, he was saying that God is either everything or he's nothing, right? He's either everything or he's nothing. He's either in complete and utter control of everything or chas shalom, he's not in control of anything. And, and yet there's dichotomies. The only thing that we talked about the last time I spoke was that, that God 
controls everything in our life with one exception, and that is what choice we'll make either to follow him or not follow him, which is why he sets, he sets before us the Torah, and he says in Devarim chapter 30, he says, Behold, I set before you today life and death. Notice he calls heaven and earth as witness. He said, I call heaven and earth as witnesses before you that I'm setting before you life and death. This is, by the way, why Mashiach in Matthew chapter 7, or Matthew chapter 5, brother, called heaven and earth as, as witnesses. Or he, or he said, rather, he didn't call them as witnesses, but he rather said that heaven and earth will pass away before the Torah passed away. Why? Because they've been called to the courtroom as witnesses by Hashem. See, everything is for a reason. And so he sets before us, and he calls it life and death. What is life and death? Life and death is life if you follow the Torah, death if you don't. And in case we're wondering which door to go through, Hashem says, choose life. In case you're wondering, <laughs> in case you're looking, you're like, life, death, I don't know. And God says, life, <laughs> right? But this is what Hashem wants for us. Notice what Mashiach says. The words of Mashiach in Yochanan 14, which we, uh, we stop shy of reading verse 21, and it says here in verse 21, whoever has my mitzvot with him. Say my mitzvot. my mitzvot. Now, someone might say that, uh, and they say it incorrectly, that these are the mitzvot of Mashiach as if they are in contrast to the mitzvot of Moses. Right? Because we have in our minds, through poor theology, that because the law is called the law of Moses, that it's Moses' law, right? And the reason that exists in such epic proportions in the world is because everybody's been trained, coerced, conditioned, right? To not read, to not read that part of the Bible. And so as a result, they think, because they don't know, that this is Moses' word. It's not the word of God. But in fact, it's God's word. The reason it's called the law of Moses is because God gave it to Moses and he communicated it to everybody else. But it is in fact the word of God. So when Mashiach is talking about my mitzvot, He's, it, there's, a, there's a duality, there's a, complex, there's a complexness here. He's not saying whoever follows my commandments as juxtaposed to God's commandments because that would be blasphemous. Right. So suppose Mashiach shows up on the scene, he says, I know that God said, but I said. That's how people interpret the Sermon on the Mount a lot of times. You've heard it said by God to do X, but I tell you, what we learn in this week's Torah portion that if somebody should show up and say that, then that's automatic false prophet. Right? The volume 13, automatically disqualified as Mashiach. The minute the Mashiach, God forbid, we say, God forbid, the minute he says, I told you, you've heard it say, eat kosher, but I tell you, don't worry about it. You've heard it said, wear seat seat, but I tell you, forget it. You've heard it said, keep, uh, keep Pesach, but I tell you, here's another holiday to replace it. The minute that that happens, the volume 13 gets enacted. You say, well, wait a minute, but he raised the dead. Wait a minute, but he, uh, he healed the sick. Wait a minute, he caused the lame to walk. Wait a minute, he opened blind eyes, deaf ears. We're going to read in a second where none of that matters. Mashiach testifies to him about himself that none of that matters. 
He says here in this portion we read in Yochanan 14 that if you don't believe me, at least believe my deeds. What he's talking about, he's not talking about miracles. He's talking about his life of fidelity to God's will. That's another thing we get stuck on. We get stuck on miracles, right? I love to teach about uh, Shemot 34, Exodus 34, which is actually going to be the, the, the topic, God willing, of our brotherhood's learn and burn. But I love talking about that topic because Moshe says, I want to see your glory. And I think many of us have had that uh, prayer. We want to see the glory of God. And I can just speak from my own experience. When I used to think about the glory of God, I would think about lightning, thunder, shaking, majesty, you know, God, glory. And God says, you want to see my glory? I want to see your glory. Okay, here's my glory. I'm merciful, compassionate, loving, slow to, slow to anger. God sees those attributes as glorious. Oh, I wish, I wish somebody could get that. See, during the 40 days, what we need to become is we need to become God's glory, his kavod, his teferet. God is saying, I want you to be glorious. And here's how you're going to be glorious. You're going to be slow to anger. You're going to be kind. You're going to be compassionate. You're going to be long-suffering with people. You're going to be merciful. That's, you're going to be forgiving. These, this is what I consider glory. Always think about it. What is, what is glory to God? Glory to God, he can do anything. He created. The biggest star you can think of, he spoke it into being. It's nothing. What he, he considers glory, something much more important. But Mashiach, going back here, it says, whoever has my mitzvah within him. What is he talking about? He's, he is, first of all, Mashiach is the word of God made flesh. The word of God in a Jewish mind. So he, remember, remember our why. Our why at Sar Shalom is to go back to the first century, to go back to the original congregation, the original ecclesia, what did it look like? How did it exist? And it was thoroughly 100% Jewish. It wasn't that Mashiach was, was a Jew. It wasn't just that. People were like, hey, that's, a, that's, a, that's an eye-opener for a lot of people. They don't realize that Yeshua was Jewish. That surprises a lot of people, right? Because he's usually on a, on a white horse wearing a cowboy hat and he's long blonde hair and he's carrying a Texas flag. But... I saw a painting like that once. <laughs> to be fair, in the painting, Yeshua was not wearing the, the cowboy hat, but everybody else was, and they were all carrying Texas flags and American flags and all that kind of stuff, right? In this case, Yeshua was from Colorado, right? Or Bethlehem, Maryland, or something like that. I mean, you know. So it's a shock when people find out that he's from, he's, he's, he's Jewish, but it's deeper than that. It's not that he was just Jewish, like he's born of a Jewish family. He was actually Jewish, orthodox, we would say today, Torah true, Pharisee. Yeshua was a Pharisee in every respect. And so our goal is to go back there and find out, which is why I said the word of God means the Torah. You say, how do you know that? Because that's what it meant to them back then. If you go back in time, 2,000 years, and you start talking about the Word of God, everybody's going to tell you that's the Torah. That's the will of God. Will of God, Word of God, Torah of God, wisdom of God, those are all euphemisms for the same thing. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The first five books, the foundation. At any point that anybody shows up and changes any of those, 
the false prophets. It's very simple. It's easy. People ask me all the time, how come the Jews don't, don't, don't believe in, in, in JC? How come they don't believe in the church, the church uh, you know? How come? This is very simple. People have been preaching for 2,000 years that he came and did away with most of those five. And then he started calling it the Old Testament and he created a New Testament. It's a very simple. The only pro- the problem is it doesn't get any more, com- it's, not, it's no more complicated than this. You're talking to a Jewish person who actually knows the Bible and you're telling them these things and he's like, yeah, I don't know, I, I can't get past the volume 13. It says right there, God says, if this happens, he's a false prophet. It's really simple. It's no more complicated than that. Now there's other arguments, sure. You know, there's other arguments. Yeah, but we, had, we can't forget that 2,000 years ago this big disaster came about where this false theology took root. And then you throw in the Crusades, people running around killing Jews, wearing crosses on their uniform. That's a problem, right? Then you take to fast forward to the Holocaust. There's crucifixes over the gas chamber door. You can imagine, right? Right? So going back, again, we can't get off this verse. Whoever has my mitzvah, what's the other thing about this? Yeshua, in this instance, is taking ownership of the Torah. It's not just God's Torah, it's my Torah. Now, uh, I know y'all are fascinated and love all of my military stories. That's why I always tell them. (laughs) But um, I don't know how it is in other services. Maybe it's the same. But in in the service that I was in, you would do something wrong or, you know, whatever you're doing, and you're being corrected by a superior, and they would often say something like, hey, listen, we don't do that in my Marine Corps. Oh, you don't act that way in my Marine Corps. You know, and then you're, you're, you're handling property, like I'm, I'm, I'm handling my machine gun or whatever, like, hey, you, you better take care of my, my machine gun there. In other words, the superiors were trained in their attitude to take ownership of everything. It wasn't the Marine Corps, it was my Marine Corps. It wasn't the machine gun, it was my machine gun. And so in this case, you have Yeshua who's saying, these are my mitzvot, because I'm taking ownership of the mitzvot. I don't attend Sarshalom, I attend my synagogue. This is what, this is, I'm taking ownership of this. Uh, It's been said many, many times. I heard it this week, or maybe I read it this week. I don't know, somehow this came across my mind this week. That we've said when Sean and I were involved in, in other uh, organizations that did events and things like that, we would always tell people, this secular organization, you know, uh, we would tell people that, look, you, you, you get out of an event what you put into it. And that's a common thing. Everybody knows that, right? You get out of something what you put into it. When you go to the bank, you're able to withdraw money from your bank account. That's because you put money into it. Right? Right? I mean, we would like to think that somebody's going to come to our bank and deposit a million dollars, but normally it doesn't happen that way, unless we're teenagers. But generally, generally we go to the bank and we withdraw money that we have deposited, and because it's our money, we're not so careless in how it's spent usually. Because we've invested in it and we draw out of it. So therefore, whatever we put into this walk is what we draw out of this walk. If we put passion into it, if we put prayer into it, if we put intentionality into it, if we put a heart into it, if we put a love of God into it, that's what we draw out. Yeah. 
But if we're waiting to be entertained, if we're waiting to be wild, if we're waiting to be moved emotionally, God says, listen, you've written a check, but it's bouncing. There's no money in the account. Now, here's the thing, though. Hashem has a match plan. Whatever, he's, the, he's so gracious that whatever we put in, he matches it. We still have to put something in. So he's taking ownership here. He says, whoever has my mitzvah with him and has kept them is the one who has loved me. Zach and Yochanan taught about this uh, just a, a few weeks ago. This is the one who loves me. The one who loves me is the one who has actually been walking in my mitzvot. Because love is action, right? Love is action. No one, no one would, 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 would put up with for a moment any spouse who was completely disconnected and cheating and all this kind of stuff and all these other things, neglectful and all this stuff. And, and then the person says, well, I really do love you though. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to have to go with a no on that one. <laughs> because love is actually acting upon the relationship, right? We've talked about that before. In a lot of ways, a lot of ways that women see love is the man the, does the dishes. Or my wife would testify that when you finish washing the bowl out, you put it in the, in the dishwasher. See, that's love, right? And then I sing the song, What's love got to do, got to do with it? <laughs> but anyway, I view love as lamb stew. Come on. Yeah, well, I'm just saying that love is an action. It's not all romance and flowers. It can be, but it's, it's, it's obedience. And in this case, what Mashiach is saying is those who have been obedient to the will of my Father are the ones who love me, and one who loves me is loved by my Father. And who is he? He's the Torah. So if you love the Torah, then God loves you. You see that? How many of you would put up for a moment if somebody came to you and said, listen, I really like you. Oh, thank you. But I really hate your kid. I love you, though, but your kid drives me crazy. I just can't stand them, but I love you. That would be a difficult relationship to engage with, right? And I will love... No, hold on. Keep your, keep your comments. Keep your comments. And I will love him and make myself known to him. Loved by my father, I will make myself known to him. Now, shelf team. Go back to the power shot shelf team. And ex, and, uh, excuse me, in De Deuteronomy chapter seven, uh, let me see, where were we? 16, 16, 18. Devarim 16, 18. I'll pull out the Kehol Tumash because they break it down with some, some of Rashi's comments juxtaposed with everything. So the verse 16, 18 says, Judges and officers shall you appoint in all your cities. Say you. you. Okay. And say cities. cities. Judges and officers shall you appoint in all your cities. Now the word officers there is literally the word sheriff. A sheriff. There's a new sheriff in town. Nice. Right? Judges and officers shall you appoint in all your cities, which Adonai your God gives you. 
For your tribes, they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. Now, we won't get into this too much, but there is a lot of uh, ideology that that, uh, some of the customs and, and ancient traditions that we have are not valid because they were given to us by the quote-unquote rabbis. But I would point out that this is the source, the principal source, whereby the Torah tells us to appoint judges to make such laws. This is the concept. This what we're reading here is where the, United, where the founding fathers got the United States Constitution, which gave us the legislation. We have the legislator, I should say. We have the Constitution, and we have the, the House of Congress, the Senate and the House of Representatives that make law based upon what's written in the, in the Torah, a.k.a. the Constitution. This is where this comes from. Our founding fathers didn't make that up. They just simply went back and looked at the way God set up his government, and then they, they copied it, right? And so this is, this is where it comes from. These judges are set up, and they are set up to produce laws for us. Now, as Ahmed and some of the guys were reading in, in the Sefer Hinuch this week, they found out that smika, which is ordination, has not existed since the destruction of the temple. It cannot exist until Mashiach returns. Right? So people running around saying, well, you know, I've got smika, I've got smika, I've got smika. You have shmita, smika, smita. You have nothing. All you have is an educational certificate, which is not exactly anything wrong with that, but it's not smika. And so you have, you say, well, uh, my, my great, 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 great grandfather served in the Baal Shem Tov, and then, and, then, and then his grandfather, and his grandfather, his grandfather, his grandfather, his grandfather, his grandfather, and now I am, uh, you know, the, 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 the eighth generation, and now I'm the Shmessenger rabbi. And everybody's stunned by that. The only problem is the Baal Shem Tov didn't have Shmika either. So therefore, he can't give Shmika to anybody, Right? The, therefore, in order for a judge to be a literal judge, in order to give true halakha, you have to be somebody who has shmika to actually make a firm halakha, word of God, so to speak, halakha. You have to be a judge, which means there has to be a temple, which means there has to be a Sanhedrin. So people running around telling you, take this to the bank and cash it. It's a valid check. People telling, run around telling you, you are breaking Torah by driving on Shabbat. Who made that? Single rabbi in New York when the car was first invented. Where is his smika? Doesn't have it. Not halakha. Very simple. You say, well, a thousand, a thousand rabbis agree. And? I'm going to throw in Daffy Duck. He agrees too. So what? No, listen to me. Listen to me. You have people running around, keeping people, shutting the kingdom of God in men's faces, not allowed to come to shul because you can't drive. You know what happens to those people? They move closer, Rabbi. No, they don't. They don't. They just stop, they just stop going to shul. That's why you have 80% of Jews in America who don't keep the Torah and 90% in Israel who don't. In Israel. There's a synagogue on every corner in Israel. So what's the? So why do you have people running around in Judaism today telling Jews not to drive on Shabbat? 
No, see, this is a real stumbling block for people. Because they read a book written by some rabbi who tells them this is halakha, and they don't know what they don't know. That's how they prey on you. And then you don't realize that it was written by somebody who has no smika, who has no right to make the halakha. You say, well, majority rules. No. Only if it's a majority court of duly elected, duly smikad rabbis. <laughs> smikad is a word. Yeah. <laughs> now listen, you can believe me or don't believe me. If you don't believe me, then, then you'll end up suffering for it. Not, not, no, I mean, let me phrase that. Let me phrase that. <laughs> not me. It's not because I'm saying it. It's just because I see the fruit of it. The fruit of people that get bound up in the... This is legalism, by the way. They get bound up in it, and then they, they stop fellowshipping because they've been told, you know, this kind of thing. Anyway, if you're concerned about driving on Shabbat, see me. There's a whole lot of other mitzvot you're not doing you need to be made aware of. No, listen, no, let me tell you something. If you're going to go to that level, I need to talk to you because there's, I got about, I've got, I'm not even kidding you, I've got about this much that you need to be doing in addition to that. If you're going to go to that level, if you're going to go over there, if you're going to step over here and say, well, this is where I want to live, hey, I'm, t- I'm, I'm not going to be mad at you. I'm not going to be hateful towards you. I'm just going to advise you that if you're going to go to that level, then there's about like this, you've got to step up. Because yeah. I guarantee you, if you're walking around with Lent in your pocket, because you're not in an era, right? So if you go outside your door and you have Lent in your pocket, If your refrigerator is not on Shabbos mode, if your air conditioner is not on a timer, if your hot water heater is not is burning, light switches. Oh yeah, we're gonna have a long conversation. I got I got you. <laughs> See, because people think, oh Rabbi Rabbi Griffin just doesn't know. <laughs> uh, uh. That's so funny. That's so cute. I can, I can work on it with you. I can, work, I can help you out. No, this is life and death we're talking about here. People get a hold of stuff, and then they don't ask a question, and then they, end up don't, they don't realize the trap that they're being sucked into. So back to our verse, you shall set judges for yourself. You must appoint judges and sheriffs for yourself. Fate, say, for myself. The judges that we're appointing are for ourselves. I want to elevate this on a spiritual level. You must appoint judges and sheriffs for yourself in all your cities. The word for cities is the word gates, for gates. Okay? So we need to appoint judges and sheriffs for ourselves in all of our gates that God, notice it says God, your God. Again, this is, goes back to ownership. God, your God, personal responsibility. It's not just God, it's my God. It's not just a synagogue, it's my synagogue. It's not just a family, a mishpah, it's my mishpah. It's not just an event, it's my event. Right? It's not just Arab, it's my Arab. So we've got to take ownership. It's not just lighting the candles, it's my candles. It's not lifting up the kiddush, it's my kiddush. This is what I'm doing. And when we don't take ownership, then it becomes drudgery because it's not, we're doing something, somebody else's thing. 
So we need to appoint judges for ourselves, which means that the judgment that we set up is the judgment we put on ourselves. The sheriff that we want to set up is not the sheriff to patrol our neighbor, it's the sheriff to patrol us. And this is the gates. The word gates is, can be, this is pointed out in the Kehot Humash, allegorically referencing the gates of our ears, eyes, nose, and mouth. We need to set up judges for ourselves. See, the 40 days of Teshuvah is all about introspection. That means we're looking at ourselves. We're examining our own lives. And we're, we're judging and we're, we're, we're putting up guards, if you will, for our, our, uh, our ears, our eyes, our nose, and our mouth. The Vilna Gon, um, in his Igras Hagra, a letter he had written to his family, brings down something interesting. He's talking about spending money on Torah education. And he brings out something I had never heard of before, that he brings out the word tishrei, tishrei. See if Keturus, Keturus, if you can find a picture of the Hebrew word tishrei, tishrei in Hebrew, maybe you can put that on the screen. But he talks about the word tishrei being an acronym, an acronym. So with tishrei, and maybe we'll find a picture of it, I'm not sure is the Tav, the Sheen, the Resh, and the Yud. That's how you spell Tishrei. Now, Tishrei is the, month, is the name of a month. The first, uh, the day of Rosh Hashanah falls on the first of Tishrei. This is the first month. This month has more mitzvot in it than any other month on the calendar. This has Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. This has uh, Sukkot, okay? Think about it. It's a jam-packed. It's the seventh, seventh month of the calendar, and so we have this Tishrei month, but he pulls down that this is an acronym, and that the Tav of Tishrei stands for Talmud Torah. That is Torah learning. And the Sheen of Tishrei stands for Shabbat. And the Resh of Tishrei stands for Rosh Chodesh. And the Yud of Tishrei stands for Yom Tov. And so as I was looking at this, I began to think this is really the functional foundation of a Jew. <laughs> Studying the Torah, keeping the Sabbath. There we go, right there, perfect. So the Tav, at the, the first letter here, far, far right, is Torah, the Sheen is Shabbat, the Resh is Shodesh, and the Yod is Yom Tov. So we have here the foundational qualities of a Jew. We study the Torah, we keep the Sabbath, we have a renewal every month with Rosh Hodesh, and we live out an entire year chock full of festivals, Yom Tovim. But looking at it a little bit further, by the way, the, the Vilna Gon <coughs> writing about this is saying that at Rosh Hashanah, based on our Teshuvah and everything about it, God makes us out the year ahead. We're going to have a good year or a bad year? We're going to have a good income or low income? He determines everything for the year except all expenses except for Yom Tov, except for all of this. Whatever we spend on Torah learning, Shabbat, 
Rosh Hodesh celebrations and Yom, Yom Tovim celebrations, the, the Gra, as he's called, says God reimburses us for all that. Oh. You can say, hey, I don't know. I, I want to buy lamb for Shabbos, but you know, I've only, my income's like, hey, Hashem's going to reimburse you for that because he's already made your income, right? What you're going to make for the whole year, this is why we daven these 40 days. And he says, so whatever you spend on Shabbos or Yom Tov, I've got, I've got that. That's mine. That's on me. I will reimburse it for you. But I was looking at this again, and I said, listen, these four areas correspond to the four gates. Talmud Torah corresponds to the ear gate. Shema Yisrael. We study the Torah so that we can hear the word of God. And we can not just hear it, but we obey it. So the way in which we guard our ears is by listening to Torah. This is why that we have to be really careful what type of music that we listen to, right? Those type of things. Or what we listen to, period. Whether it's TV or music or whatever. And I'm not, I'm not saying that you, know, you can't listen to the occasional song or whatever. But you know, I, when I drive around, I, if I'm not listening to... Just personally, just tell you personally, if I'm not listening to some Aton cats or Shlomo cats or whatever, I'm listening to classical music, right? Because I need that kind of stuff to go in. And uh, they say that if you listen to classical music, it makes you smarter. I need all the help I can get, man. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Help me out. <laughs> right? So I'm trying to get that in my head. I don't need really to listen to all that mess. There was a short time ago that I went back and I was just happy to be flipping through the stations and I came across some, some, uh, some stations, you know, that had some songs from my high school years. And some of them were familiar, you know, so you're listening to them. And you're like, oh, yeah, I remember that song. And I started to listen to the lyrics. I'm like, what? They're saying what? <laughs> I had no idea that song was about that. Oh, no, 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 no. Right? That's happened to us on occasion. I told my wife, such a great movie that was. We put it in, I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? What was wrong with me? I watched this movie. Take it out. Rosh <laughs> Hodesh, excuse me, Shabbat. Shabbat corresponds to the eye gate. Why the eye gate? Because at Shabbos, the messi messianic era becomes manifest and visible to us. When we enter into Shabbat, we begin to see clearly. And by the way, I should mention, we should guard the Sabbath. So we should guard it with our conversation. The Shabbat, when we're on Shabbat, we shouldn't be talking about what we need to do tomorrow. There was a rabbi, I forget his name, old rabbi, and he uh, was hard on himself about that. Is he was walking into the house, and he noticed a hole in the fence. He's on Shabbat. He noticed a hole in the fence. And he said to himself, I should fix that tomorrow. And then he went in and made shuva for thinking about the fact that something he should do tomorrow. When you think about it, you're on an island of time. You're in, the, you're in a foretaste of the Messianic era. That's why we should also guard our conversations, right? Be, by the way, did you know, I know that we don't, we don't walk around kindling fires, right? Because the sages, the ones who had smika, said that we don't. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> That we don't kindle fires. So by the way, not the harp on the driving thing. 
But I'm so sick and tired of hearing about this, so I'm just trying to help everybody. My wife is going, I know, we know, we can tell. <laughs> I'm just trying to help people, man. Yeah. Trust me, trying to help you, right? That's really, that's my motivation, trying to help you. That's why I do what I do. But anyway, people say, well, if you start the engine, a fire starts, you're igniting a fire on the Shabbat. I say, okay, what if you have a diesel truck? We've had an electric car. I, usually I get a blank stare like I've never even thought about that before. I, I know you haven't because, you know, you've made your decision and now you're telling me about it. And now, right? But anyway, if you look up the halakha about kindling a fire on Shabbat, just look it up. Look up the halakha. Sepharia.org. Don't take my word for it. Look up the halakha. See what the commentary says about it. It's all about making harsh judgments on the Sabbath. The fire is the fire of our tongue that we're lighting. So meanwhile, people are walking to shul and they're getting to shul and they're talking Lashon Hara. They think they're keeping the Sabbath. God is saying, no, you should have just driven here. People putting down the, the match in the, in the, in the uh, aluminum, you know, letting it die out and then turn around and say, I can't believe she wore that. I should have blew out the candles. Lit a fire in the, in, the, in the fireplace, right? Look, I'm talking about myself here, you know? We're talking about, we're talking about all of us. Anyway. The next gate, Rosh Hodesh. Rosh Hodesh is the nose gate. Why Rosh Hodesh the nose gate? Because at the new moon, we enjoy the fragrance of renewal. Moreover, the sages point out that when we recite the Kiddush Levana, we welcome the divine presence. The, therefore, we're welcoming the Spirit of God. What is the word spirit in, in Hebrew? Ruach. It means breath, wind, spirit, air. Therefore, we intake the air. I'm just drawing a correlation here. And the final gate, the gate of, of our mouth, is the Yom Tov. Why the Yom Tov? Because on the Yom Tov, the Yom Tovim are full of praises, blessings, prayers, confessions, and Kiddush. So the point being is that when we dedicate our life to Tishrei, then we are dedicating our life to putting up Shoftim and Sheterim, sheriffs, around these gates of our being. And I want to emphasize that this is, these gates are about us. We set up gates for ourselves. All right, so in Pirkei Avot, it says his son, Rabbi Shemel, would say, <clears throat> this is in Pirkei Avot 4.7, one who refrains from serving as a judge avoids hatred, thievery, and false oaths. One who fearlessly hands down rulings is a fool, wicked, and arrogant. So Pirkei Avot says, listen, if, you're, if you're, you refrain from judging people, then you are a wise person who is avoiding hatred, thievery, and false oaths. But if you're somebody who walks around judging people, making declarations, they should be, they not, well, how come? They're just judging all the time, not knowing, you know, the circumstances, not knowing the whole case. It's like watching judge, uh, whatever those judge shows, you know. Then we are... We are somebody who is acting foolishly and wickedly and arrogantly. 
Another Pirkei Avot said, said Rabbi Mir, look not at the vessel, but at what it contains. There are new vessels that are filled with old wine and old vessels that don't even have new wine. <laughs> yeah, Shlomo got it. <laughs> Rabbi Eliezer HaKapur would say, envy, lust, honor, drive a man from the world. Envy, lust, and honor drive a man from the world. He would also say, those who are born will die and the dead will live. The living will be judged to learn, to teach, and to comprehend that he is God. He is the former, he is the creator, he is the comprehender, and he is the judge. He is the witness, and he is also the plaintiff, and he will judge. Blessed is he for before whom there is no wrong, no forgetting, no favoritism, and no taking of bribes. Know that everything is according to the reckoning. Let not your heart convince you that the grave is your escape. For against your will you were formed, against your will you were born, against your will you live, and against your will you will die, and against your will you are destined to give a judgment and account before the king, the king who rules over kings, the Holy One, blessed be he. That's from Pure Kevot 4, 21 through 2022. Now, with that, I want to turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. <clears throat> Learning some lessons today. We okay? All right, don't be mad at me. Why don't you come back next week? I'm going to give you a warm cup of coffee and a hot scone when we leave here. Everybody be happy. All right. Don't be mad at me. It hurts my feelings. Deuteronomy, I mean, excuse me, Deuteronomy. Matthew 7, Matthew 7, 1 through 14. Do not judge. All right. All right, close your book. No, no we're going to keep hearing <laughs> Do not judge so that you will not be judged. That's a motivator, right? Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For with the judgment that you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use to measure, it will be measured to you. Why is it that you see the speck in the eye of your brother, but the log that is in your eye you do not notice? How can you say to your brother, permit me, and I will remove the speck from your eye, when the log is in your own eye? Hypocrite. Remove the log from your eye, and afterward you will surely see to remove the speck from the eye of your brother. Now, later, and we won't read, for the sake of time, we will not read this, but if you go back to or excuse me, if you continue reading in ver beginning in verse 21, you will find where Yeshua says explicitly that even if you're doing miracles and great wonders and you come to me and yet you're not following the Torah of my God, then I'm going to tell you away from me, you evildoer. You worker of iniquity. So he right there confirms Devarim 13. But going back here and dealing with this issue, he's talking about not judging we have specks, you know, we're talking about getting the speck out of our brother's eye, and we have a log in our own eye. The sages used other axioms. In Tanaeet 65a, they said, let us pick off the straws from ourselves before we do, do it to others. In Baba Metzia 63b, do not taunt your neighbor with a blemish you yourself have. Lamentations Rabbah 340, let us first correct ourselves, then let us correct others. In Akrain 16b from the Talmud, it says, "In this generation, anyone who knows how to, in this generation, anyone who knows how to accept rebuke 
For if one says to his fellow nowadays, remove the splinter from between your eyes, that is, refrain from a minor infraction, his fellow can retort, remove the beam from between your eyes, that is, refrain from a major transgression. So we see in the Talmud they're using the exact same phraseology that our master used. In Baba Basra uh, 15b, it says something similar with a slightly different phrases. It says, And Rabbi Yochanan also said, What is the meaning of that which is written? And it happened the days when the judges judged from the book of Ruth. What is the point of this double expression? It teaches that this was a generation that judged its judges. The judges themselves were corrupt. If a judge would say to a defendant, remove the splinter from between your teeth, that is, refrain from a minor infraction, the defendant would retort to the judge, remove the beam from before your eyes, refrain from a major transgression. If a judge said to a defendant, your silver is drosh, the defendant would reply to him, your wine is mixed with water. The point being here is that we need to be people, we're talking about shelf team here, talking about setting up judges, we need to be people who are setting up judges for ourselves, but refraining from judging others. We need to be, you could say, look, I'm kind of hard on myself. This is what the sages teach us too. Be hard on yourself and lenient on others. Let me say that again. Be hard on yourself and lenient on others. That's the attitude we ought to have. We're hard on ourselves and we're lenient on others. A lot of times we get it in reverse. We're hard, we're hard on others and we're, we're lenient on ourselves. Or maybe we're hard on ourselves and we're also hard on others. And God has a way of humbling us. He has a way of, re, of, of reminding us. It wasn't that long ago then you didn't know what you were doing either. But I accepted you, right? I said, come work in my field for a dinar. You know, I love that, that, that uh, parable by uh, Yeshua talking about going out and hiring people to come work in his field for a dinar. And then he goes late in the day when there's only an hour's left to work and he hires people who show up late to the game. And don't you know, you can just imagine the backstory of that parable. That people are coming to the field. People have been working there all day long. This is, this is likened to the people who are, know what they're doing. We know all the brockas. We say everything. We know everything. We think we know everything. And then people come in, and they don't know anything. And we're like, oh, we've been working here all day. Now you don't even know what you're doing. And then we show up to get our reward. We get our payment. And we get a dinar, and they get a dinar. We go, whoa, 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 whoa. The guy had his keeper on backwards. How is he getting a dinar? I've been wearing mine the right way this whole time, and I get that dinar too. And God says, listen, why are you mad at me? You're mad at me because I'm generous with my own money? So in Pirkei Avot 3.6, it says, Rabbi Halafta Mendoza of Kafar Hanina says, 10 who are sitting together and engaging in Torah, the divine presence rest among them. As it is said in Psalm 82.1, God stands in the congregation of God. And from, and, and from where is there proof that this is true, even when there's only five? As it says in Amos 9.6, and, and he has founded his, brand, his band upon the earth. And from where is it proved that he's even in the midst of three? As it is said in Psalm 82.1, in the midst of judges, he judges. And from where even two, as it says... Malachi 3.16, and those who feared the Lord spoke one with another, and the Lord hearkened and heard. And from where is it proven even one? And it says in Exodus 20.20, 20, 
In every place where I cause my name to be mentioned, I will come and bless you. Now, if we go to, back to the book of Matthew in chapter 18, we hear the words of Mashiach again, a very similar circumstance talking about judgment. Beginning in verse 15, 1815. That was a good year. The Napoleonic Wars. 1815. If your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him between yourself and him. And if he listens to you, you've required your brother for yourself. But if he does not listen, take one or two others with you. For by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word would be confirmed. But if he does not listen to them, tell it to the congregation. And if he does not listen to the congregation, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector. So much for the word of Gentile being okay. No, I'm just saying. Why does it say Gentile and tax collector? Because first, a Gentile is an idolater, and a tax collector was even worse than an idolater. The sages say that when you met a tax collector, it was like, it was like being mauled by a bear. In verse 18, it says, Amen, I say to you, all that you forbid on the earth will be forbidden in heaven, and all that you permit on the earth will be permitted in heaven. This is not talking about spiritual warfare. It's talking about making a judgment as an ordained court. Moreover, I say to you, if two of you are of one heart on the earth about anything you ask, it will surely come to them from my Father in heaven. For wherever two or three are gathered in my name, we just read from Pirkei Avot, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Then we have Rosh Hashanah 17a that reminds us yet again. This is also, I, I put this in your bulletin, but I'm going to read it to you again. It says, Rava said, anyone who relinquishes his measure of retribution, the heavenly tribunal relinquishes all his sins for him. As it is stated, he pardons transgressions and overlooks sins. Whose transgressions? Whose transgressions, the sages ask, does he pardon? One who overlooks sin committed against himself. Let me just read that to you again because this is such an impactful insight. And we're going to continue reading the words of Messiah here in just a second. It says, Rabbi, Rabbi said, Anyone who relinquishes his measure of retribution, letting it go, let things go, let it go, let it go, right? The cold never bothered me anyway. I mean, come on. We got to let things go, let go the measure of retribution. The heavenly tribunal relinquishes all his sins for him. As it is stated, he pardons transgressions and overlooks sins. Whose transgression does he pardon? one who overlooks sins committed against himself. We've got to be people who are loving, who are not judging, and people who are forgiving. Now, just after Yeshua is telling them about their brother who sinned against them, take, go to him and talk to him privately. If you win him over, you have a strong relationship. You know that's true. If you talk to somebody and you have angst with them, normally... If you talk to them privately, you build a, a stronger bond, right? Because you understand each other better. 
But even if it doesn't so, there's a process. You know, you take somebody with you, then you have to take them to the Beit Din or whatever, then in the whole congregation, if he still refuses, then treat him like a Gentile tax collector. He goes on to say, wherever two or three are gathered my name, there I am in the midst of him. He's not talking about spiritual warfare. He's talking about making right decisions. But then at just immediately after that, we look at in context, Kepha, that is Peter, approached him and asked, Master, if my brother sins against me, how many times should I pardon him? Up to seven times? Peter's being generous. Seven times, that's a lot. Do you understand the context here of the judgment that Yeshua is talking about? And then Kepha comes to him and says, I'm just curious, how, how many times do we have to forgive? How forgiving do we have to be? And he said, Yeshua said to him, I will not say to you up to seven times, but up to 77. In other words, infinity. Therefore, the kingdom of God can be compared to a king of flesh and blood who was going down to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, a man was brought before him who was indebted to him for 10,000 kikarim of silver. He did not have any way to repay it, so his master commanded to sell him his wife and his children and all that was his that he could repay it. The servant fell on his face and bowed to him, saying, Master, be slow to anger with me, and I'll repay everything to you. The master of the servant was moved to compassion, so he released him and pardoned him of his debt. That servant went out from before him and found one of his associates who was indebted to him, 100 denarii. He grabbed him, choked him, saying, Pay me what you owe me. His associates fell at his feet, requested of him, saying, be, be slow to anger, and I will repay everything to you. But he refused, and he went and left him in prison until he would repay him his debt. The, servant who, the servants who were his associates saw what he had done and were very upset. See, the sages talk about this too, that when we judge and we use harsh language and lashan harah, Nothing goes unnoticed. Suddenly we have witnesses who ascend to Shemayim and testify against us of what we said. So they came and told their master all that he had done. And the master called him and said to him, You worthless servant, I pardon your whole debt in response to your request for me. Was it not incumbent upon you to show compassion to your associates, your associate when I had compassion on you? His master became angry with him and turned him over to torturers until he should pay his whole debt. My Father who is in heaven will do the same to you if you do not pardon others wholeheartedly for their sins. So we live, we're experiencing rather a time here of 40 days of teshuvah where God, we're seeking God to uh, forgive us and to change us and to transform us. And my encouragement to us is that we need to be setting up judges and sheriffs for ourselves. Judges and sheriffs for ourselves. The sages talk about that if we judge ourselves here, then we don't have to be judged in Shemayim. And in, in, in addition to our, our teshuva seeking, we should ask God to give us the attributes of His glory. Mercy, compassion, humility, these things that are, are wholesome and healthy, that we should forgive, that we should look for opportunities to forgive. Right? That we should let it go. Let it go. It's not you know? We don't have to speak Lashon Hara. We don't have to. You know, the, the other word that's used in the discussion of Lashon Hara is um, reculus. 
That's tail-bearing, gossip. Hey, I heard so-and-so said this about you. Can you believe, I can't believe they said that about you. You know what the sages say about that? Not allowed to believe it. Not allowed to believe it. Hey, Manashe, I heard Ahmed say this about you. Ahmed said this to you. I can't believe he said that about you. I was in his presence. He said it. Manashe is not allowed to believe it. He could go investigate it. Ahmed, I'm just asking, did you say this? Not allowed to believe it. Why? Because he believes it. Then he starts to take offense, and everybody's a sinner at this point. I'm a sinner for telling. He's a sinner for listening. And that's how the snowball happens. Hey, so-and-so, this is what I heard, right? Uh-huh. You know, there's a reason why hearsay is not allowed in court. You know, you can't get on a witness stand in court and say, well, your honor... I was told by my friend Susie that Al was there and shot the guy. You're not allowed to say it unless you're an eyewitness. And guess what? If you're going to be a witness in court, then the defendant has a right to be there and hear your words and cross-examine. So you know what's easier? Just not to judge. Because Mashiach says, when you judge, then you'll be judged. Nobody wants to be in court. How do we avoid court? Be forgiving. Amen. Let it go. Not judge. Don't know. The guy cut me off in traffic. He's probably late for an appointment. Who knows? It's not easy to do. You're saying, it's not hard to do. Oh, it's not easy to do. It's not easy to do. But it's a lot less stress. Yes. Hashem, may be your will, Adonai, that you help us establish a tishrei. Yes. Help us establish the gates, the guards, rather, for the gates of our being. May it be your will, Hashem, that you should give us hearts of love and compassion and forgiveness and kindness and long-suffering and mercy. Let this be your will for us, Adonai. Let this synagogue be a place of compassion and love and kindness and genuine caring in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.